0: When we walk through the doors on Sunday morning and we come in, we bring with us all kinds of things. Little things, big things, concerns, problems, troubles. And during the course of that time, from the time we enter until that person stands to speak with a word from the Lord, the church prepares each of us to hear from him through the things that are said, through the ways that we pray for those who have prayer needs, to the giving of our ties to the work of God, to that awesome prayer and praise that comes from this awesome choir that takes us to the very throne room of God. So that by that time, all the burdens have melted away. All the problems have diminished in the importance, except for the one thing that's the most important. And that's that now we're going to hear from God. Father, You know how much I love you. I don't come here with any pretense of anything that I have to offer. Everything that comes from me this morning, Lord, I pray, started in your throne room and is just being transmitted through me. I don't presume to know or be anything apart from you. And I bless your holy name this morning and ask that you would speak through me, that you would guide and direct, that you would encourage, that you would strengthen, that you would embolden these, your people, to a greater work than that that they've done to this point. And that's my prayer, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Craig is going to put a website address up on the screen. I want you to take a minute with a pencil and paper to write that down. I was very tempted to preach on that that you're going to find when you go to this site. And I decided, no, God had already given me what I needed. This is a the website of David Barton Wall Builders, and it's his website take on the supreme court's judicial tyranny concerning marriage they call it activism I call it tyranny he is a patriot he is a god-fearing man that has an attitude and respect for our country and its founding fathers and it's an important message that I think you need to hear it is called the statement on the supreme court decision it will, it will encourage you to understand that, that what happened this last week was against the Constitution of the United States. It was against the laws and nature of God. It was against the, it, the Declaration of Independence what gave us rights. It has, it has no bearing or truth in it. And I want you to understand that. I want you to go to that website today. And I want you to look that up. Don't do it now because I don't want you to hear me, okay? And I, if, if, Web, if Craig says that he's getting a lot of stuff on the server up there, I'll just tell him to unplug it, okay? Do that later. Right now, I just want, I just want your attention for a few minutes. I love that phrase that Daryl <clears throat> said just a minute ago. And it probably is the thing that I want you to understand and take away from here more than, than anything else, other than your this faith and belief and trust in Almighty God. At one point, he said, Because of who we are in Christ, because of who we are in Almighty God, we need to live loud. We've not been living loud enough. We need to live loud. And that loud comes from everything that God puts in us and lets us shout out to the rest of the world. We've not been bold enough. We've got to start living loud in this country. Christians have to start living loud. Psalm chapter 33, which will not be on the screen because I didn't give it to him, unless he sneaks something by me. Psalm 33, verses 10 through 12 and 18 through 20 says this. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart are to all generations. It's not ended. It's going on. He still has a plan. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. A little later it says this Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our souls wait for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. This has been an emotional morning for me, and it ain't over. It's just the way it is. As we acknowledge and celebrate the 4th of July in just a few days. Today we do, but in just a few days we'll do it again. Let it be first and foremost the declaration and honoring of an awesome God who continues to bless and preserve us and our nation. And I believe that. He's still blessing this nation. We all know that there are four verses to the Star-Spangled Banner. I think you know that. If not, you do now. It was written by Francis Scott Key on September the 13th, 1814, during the bombardment of Fort McHenry, Maryland, by the British. Listen to the fourth stanza. It's one of my favorites. Oh, thus be it ever when free men shall stand between their loved homes and the war's desolation. Blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven-rescued land praise the power that made and preserved us a nation. You heard that, didn't you? It's the power of Almighty God. Then conquer we must for our cause. It is just, and this be our motto, in God we trust. And the star-spangled banner in triumph shall wave o'er the land of the free... And the home of the brave. Francis Scott Scott Key knew that we as Christians, what we as Christians know, and my wife's already saying, slow down, honey, you've got plenty of time. (laughs) I'm just so excited about it, right? What he knew that we know is that this nation owes its existence and blessings to God and those who stand for truth and freedom. The early patriots held God in awe and reverence and recognized their total dependence on his sustaining grace. The fiercest, most patriotic fervor of a people is but useless gesture if God is not the covering and the source of strength of that nation. In July 1776, after months of fierce arguments and sometimes ferocious debate, the founders of our country had finally drafted a document, the Declaration of Independence, which eloquently and passionately defined what they desired from the mother country, England. It was not a document that outlined the rights of the unborn because they already understood that God and him alone was the creator and sustainer of life. They believed and understood the authoritative word of God and how they were to preserve and protect what God had bestowed on them. It wasn't about the unborn. It wasn't even a document that defined the boundaries of marriage. Those had been planned from the beginning of time by God himself he clearly defined the roles and purposes of this divine contract, and it was abundantly clear that there was no misinterpretation of what he had established. They didn't need to make a law where the law already was in place. God's word said, this is what marriage is supposed to be, this and nothing else. He didn't say nothing else, but why wouldn't he have said, oh, there, by the way, there's some more stuff over here. We'll get to that later on. No, it was one thing and one thing only, and they knew there was no point in making a law. That was the nature, the law of nature and the law of God, and it needed no amplification. It was indeed a document that defined their unalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They desired to dissolve the bands which connected them to England and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and the nature's God entitled them. They desired to be an independent nation, to worship God the way they wanted to, not the way they were told to. You see, they knew the truth of Proverbs 29 2. Powerful scripture. Proverbs are just unbelievably awesome in what's there. Proverbs 29.2 said, When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. They were groaning then, and we're groaning now. But understand that we don't have to groan. Keep in mind that independence was also a declaration of their dependence on God. Clearly stated, listen to this, on how they closed their declaration. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, there's God again. We mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. 35 years after they signed that document, I can still close my eyes and, and, and try to go back to that hall in Philadelphia The windows were shuttered and closed. It was the middle of summertime. It was extremely hot in there. They were dressed in all of their frills and coats and all of that stuff. Had to be hot. Had to be miserable and uncomfortable. But at this point, amazing thing happened. They all came together in agreement. 35 years later in July of 1811, Benjamin Rush wrote a letter to John Adams. And he asked him this. He said, dear old friend, do you recollect your memorable speech on the day the vote was taken? And do you recollect the pensive and awful silence which pervaded that hall when we were called upon one by one to come up to that desk and to subscribe to what was believed by many at that time to be our own death warrants? Can you picture that? 56 men, one by one, going up and signing this document. Don't you understand the faith and hope and trust that they had in Almighty God? This morning, we celebrate an event of unparalleled courage an unparalleled courage and conviction, an event that would electrify the known world and forever change the character and definition of freedom, liberty, justice, and religious freedom. No other nation in the world could profess anything like that. It was the Declaration of Independence and the Declaration of Dependence on the sovereign God of the universe. How did they come to have such an understanding of the nature and laws of God? They didn't have Yahoo. They didn't have Google. They didn't even have the World Wide Web thingy. They didn't even have televangelists. They didn't have any of those things. They had something much greater than any of those things. They had God-fearing, Bible-believing pastors with a fire and passion who believed in their call from God and their commitment to their congregations. That's what they had. And it was more powerful than anything else that could have existed at that time. Let me tell you about these guys. The pastors of the 1700s were well-educated men who knew the Word of God and how to apply it to life's circumstances. They were good. I mean, they were really good at what they did because that was their life's profession and their belief in the core values of God's word and they had no problem expressing them. They had studied the works of other great theologians and had been mentored by some of Europe's finest educators. They were fluent in Hebrew, Greek, Latin and could rightly divide the word of God They used many sources for their sermons, but the source of greatest authority and the one most often used was the holy word of God. Even in King James. Oh. (laughs) Oh, well. This was their authority and they derived the foundation of their beliefs from its pages. It was a sacred text infallible and God's will for men and they knew that that's the beauty of it of necessity it colored every area of their lives social political economic and certainly spiritual the clergy's belief and understanding of God's word determined his conception of human law and man's relation to those around him They stood before the people as interpreters of the word of God and God's will for them. Their political speeches were sermons. Their political slogans were often Bible text or Bible verses. What they taught of government had about it the authority of the divine because they saw God in government. These early pastors and preachers were legally minded Their theology and their church government were legalistic and this heavily influenced their political thinking. The law of God was not confined to religious and ecclesiastical matters alone, but affected politics as well. Did you hear that? Politics as well. You mean there's a place for that in politics? Well, of course there is. These men of God perceived the universe to be a great kingdom whose sovereign was God, whose relations with his son and with men was determined by covenant or compact, which was always conditional on them and implied strict obligation to, by each side. They saw God as lawgiver. He had established laws for his people that, as one early theologian described, listen to this, were perfectly wise, just and good, and constituted perpetual, perpetual obligation. That's all the time, by the way. Perpetual obligation, immovable as the mountains, and as immutable as God himself. You don't get better than that. That's powerful. When you, when you can understand who God is and all that he's in charge of. He's sovereign God of everything. God's law has not changed from that day. That's good news. Now, if you listen to things that are going on around you, you'll think, oh man, things, maybe, maybe God's laws changed. Maybe God's had a change of heart and change of thought in some things. You believe that? I'll sell you Pat Caldwell Bridge. Civil government, so the clergy taught, was of divine origin. Civil government was of divine origin. You won't hear that said much today. Whether their argument was based on reason or the light and law of nature or the Bible, it amounted to the same thing in the end. It was ordained of God and its purpose like the government of Christ and of God himself was the good of the people. The early American clergy saw this covenant of God as a divine constitution. It was a fixed fundamental law, sacred and never to be broken, infringed upon, or dishonored. This was the heart of the clergy of the 1700s, 1600s too. But it seemed like to me, the closer they got to this separation from the mother country, the stronger they got, in fact, I'll say that again, the stronger they got in, in their beliefs of who God was and what God wanted this country to be. The heart of the clergy was to make the nature and meaning of God and his word clear to their people. Last Sunday, Pastor Jerry spoke from Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 17 to 21. Everybody remember that? Okay. What was the key thing that he wanted you to understand about some people on the wall, right? What were they? Watchmen. Very good. I'll let Jerry know that three of you knew that. <laughs> um. Anyway, he read this entire passage, and I was I was in rapture by what he was saying because it was just it just had so much so much that that needed to be said for this time because we need watchmen on the wall. But I kept going back even as I studied this last week and 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 prepared this. I kept going back to verse 17 because it just kept striking striking that same chord of belief and understanding of, of the, the clergy and what they, uh, um, what they believed and why they did this. It says this, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you are to give them warning from me. That's what those guys were doing. They were standing up in those hot, stuffy, Churches with no air conditioning or heat or any of those things. And they were proclaiming the word of God and, and, they, and people were hearing them. Amazing. Awesome. But they were watchmen. They had a responsibility and they knew what they needed to do. They were, these men of God were awed by the word and humbled by the spirit of God that spoke through them. I realized that there was far more to these messengers than we could comprehend. The closer they came to America's great destiny of freedom, liberty, and justice, the bolder they became. And you can see it if you go back and read some of the books of those early days and, and the messages out of the clergy's mouths. You could see this transformation taking place. There's a hope. Suddenly we have a hope we can have liberty and justice and freedom in our country to be what we want to be, to worship the one true God. And that was expressed over and over again in what they said from the pulpit. God had a grand destiny for this land, and he was using men of God to set ablaze the hearts of men and women to something that was far greater than they could hope for or imagine, but they clung on every word they said. Yes, there was the vision of being a free people, able to govern and dictate how their lives would be shaped. That was, that was very enticing to most people because they were tired of the taxes and all of that other stuff. But these men of God were instilling something far deeper and more abiding in their lives the idea that it would be the bedrock of guidance and hope for generations to come. The pastor would rise to the pulpit and encourage and instruct the congregation. And with the full assurance and authority that God had spoke to him, he would proclaim God's warning to the people. The church pulpits were, and I believe still are, the means whereby the people are instructed from a theological foundation in the purposes Functions and limitations of the state. And there are those things each in our nation. Armed with the wisdom of God, they became vigilant and would not tolerate abuse or tyranny. We likewise must take the baton that they passed to us. 1 Corinthians 7.23 says, You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. We're no longer slaves in the ways of the world, of men, or of the flesh. Almighty God, his son Jesus Christ has set us free. We are not slaves to man. So how did we go from a nation with a powerful understanding and belief in a sovereign God who reigns over the affairs of men to a nation that is ready to ignore and nullify his person, his power, and his word? How did we get to this point? Supposedly, what we have lived and believed in for thousands of years about the nature and work of God suddenly isn't relevant, or so they say. What was true for hundreds of years about marriage, homosexuality, perversion, sanctity of life, and sin... hmm, might not be true anymore according to what you hear. I got news for you. You already know, but I'm going to tell you again. God has not changed. God has not changed. Nor has his word So, in fact, I've come to the conclusion that it must be mankind who decided to turn his back on God. We were once a nation that enjoyed the respect of the world. Once we were. Because we stood for what was true and right. Now, not only are we disrespected, but our lack of standards and morality has drugged other nations into the same abyss that we're in. If you don't believe me, in 1973 when we said it was okay to kill babies, other nations around the world said, huh, that's a solution for our problems of population and all of those other things. We'll just do the same thing. We'll make our laws. And every time we slipped a little further into the abyss of immorality and and that that went against God's word, other nations said, huh, maybe we ought to do that too. Because of human nature, men tend to want to be ruled and cared for rather than to take on responsibility and cherish liberty. Because of human nature, Tyranny from time to time raises its ugly head, and men will endure a long reign of abuses and usurpations. And I'm telling you today, it's time to stop. It's time that we said, no, further will we go. Tyranny will not have a place in our lives, and our government will not be able to say and do the things that go against the word of God. Enough is enough, and it's time for each of us to take a stand. Get out of your box. Get out of your box and do something that's bigger than you, bigger than you think you can do. Get out of your box. If we believe that the hand of God and his blessing and wisdom was on the colonies of America... Then we have to believe that he ordained those happenings that resulted in the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and subsequent events. Amendments, excuse me. All of these documents are under attack today in our country. Or they're being ignored by those who are looking to create a new society devoid of God that worships man. These documents and the men who labored over them were God-driven. This nation was ordained by God for a divine purpose. We got to become God-driven people again. Those who think otherwise have failed, I believe, to see the intercession of God at every step of our history. Or they choose to harden their hearts instead believing that man by his sweat and ingenuity and wisdom has made America successful. And that's not true. And we know that's not true because we know that God is ultimately the sovereign God of this country. Those who ignore God and rely on self or a tyrannical, out-of-control government are the cause of the decline in America today. Our governing documents were infused with core values based on revelation from the word of God that ensured our everlasting dependence on him. Proverbs 29:18 is extremely clear to me where there is no revelation the people cast off restraint but happy is he who keeps the law man for for hundreds of years a couple hundred years, 150 years, after the Constitution and Declaration were signed and th- things were going well in this country because people were doing what they knew God would have them do. The attitude in America is that it no longer needs to acknowledge or believe in the triune God. With no acknowledgement or dependence on God and His Word, there is rampant sin. There are those who say that Christians should not be involved in politics and government. The record of history certainly does not substantiate that, nor does the word of God. Both very clear on us getting involved. Those same naysayers believe that we need to leave it to those who best know how to interpret law and determine what is best for our country. Really? Huh? How's that working out for you? Not too cotton-picking good, is it? Proverbs 28.2 says this, When a land transgresses, it has many rulers. Oh boy, do we ever. But with a man of understanding and knowledge, its stability will long continue. Man's understanding and knowledge of God transcend the rule of man. I'm not going to depress you with details, but let me ask a question. To me, it's a very relevant question. Today, is our country perpetuating the beliefs, philosophies, principles, and moral values that our forefathers envisioned and faithfully established? No. Not. It would be easy this morning, and some may, to look from a purely worldly standpoint, which I hate to do, at the history of America and see major accomplishments around the globe. There have been good things that have been done by this country. None of us would deny that. But at what cost? You see, what we end up doing because of all those good things is we pat ourselves on the back, but we fail to understand how desperate the times are because we've abandoned the truth of God's word thinking that we knew more than he did. Every day, every day, every day that you and I live and breathe, our lawmakers in Washington, D.C. erase more of the foundations that our country was built on in the name of progress and political correctness. I want to throw up when I think, when people come to me and say, don't you, shouldn't you be a little more politically correct? I had a lady do that last week. I just looked at her and I said, no. No. I don't have to be politically correct. You can't make me. I didn't say that to her. <laughs> but, that's, but that's what I meant, right? I am I'm sick and tired of thinking that I have to walk around on eggshells because I might offend somebody about what I say. Cut it out. As long as you speak the word of God and the truth of God, what should you be ashamed of? I've got to quit, okay? I've got to quit. Isaiah spoke the judgment of God on the nations of Judah and Jerusalem and he warned them and I see it as a warning for us today and an understanding that that we've got to draw a line in the sand and we've got to say no more, no further can we go this way. It's far enough. Isaiah in chapter 3 verses 11, 12 he said woe to the wicked it shall be ill with him For what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. And then it says, my people, infants, are their oppressors, and women rule over them. And what he meant was that, what he means there, at least from what I can understand, is infants and women were considered ill-suited for governmental leadership. So they figuratively depicted them as the incompetent rulers. So when he's talking about incompetent rulers, that was the analogy that he used. The last thing he said, though, is the most important. He said, oh, my people, your guides mislead you. Have our guides misled us? Hello. And they have swallowed up the course of your paths. Where are we going as a country? I I know where we come from because for a long time, there was a path that we religiously, Faithfully followed. It was a path that God called us to. But because of what's happening in our country today, we're no longer on that path. It's time to get back on the path again. And we can do that with the help of Almighty God. I didn't want you to think that this was all about us doing something, okay? It's not about us doing anything except saying, Lord God, what would you have me do? And then be faithful and obedient to carry that out. Have we not been warned? Have we not been repeatedly told about the perils of sin? The excesses of a government that continues to fill volumes of books with laws that restrict liberty, deny the rights of the unborn, violate the very commands of God, and seek to take away our First Amendment rights to religious freedom. Of course we have. We've been warned. We've been warned repeatedly. We have a pastor that every Sunday stands up and speaks the truth in the word of God, helping us to understand what's wrong and what we need to continue to do. Do we today have redress for those wrongs? Of course we do. His name is God Almighty, and it is to his throne of grace that we must go. I believe we need to plead with God for strength and wisdom, for boldness and energy, for insight and divine revelation from the word of God. We must repent as a people for our sins of indifference, for not boldly standing and saying, thus says the Lord, and for ignoring the truth of God's word. It must begin in the house of God. Welcome to the house of God. And once we are of one accord, we must go out and stand in the gap. We must be watchmen on the wall and zealously warn and speak the truth to all who would tell us to be politically correct and neutral in our words so as not to offend others. God is offended by sin. We need to be able to say, That's sin. How can we be anything else? He is offended when we fail to speak his words to those who are blind but need to see and to those who are deaf but need to hear. Once we are standing on the bedrock of Jesus and absolutely convinced of the word of God and the authority of scripture and are armed for battle, we must act. I believe because I'm a patriot to the core of my being. I believe because I am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, hopefully to the core of my being. Because of those things, I believe that this, one, this nation can once again get back to its roots and continue the vision that God has for it. We've let it slip for years I'm not saying it will happen tomorrow. But if we do nothing, it will keep slipping away. And it's time for it to stop slipping away. I believe that as long as I have breath, I'm going to proclaim that. Each of us must begin working to right the wrongs, proclaiming, thus saith the Lord. And we must work together to do that. I'm going to do what God calls me to personally, But I want to also be a part of what God God calls us to collectively as a people of God. And if you sit here this morning and you don't, and this seems all foreign to you, and you don't really understand what this means to be that closely in a relationship with Almighty God, to understand and know His Son, Jesus Christ, and the salvation that He brings into your life, my dear friend, today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day that you can be set free. Today is the day that you can say, now I begin to get this picture of what they mean that we need to make changes in our country. I'm going to ask my dearest brother, Jim Buckman, to come up, if he would. I'm going to ask him to close us in prayer as the Lord would lead him to close us in prayer, okay? Okay. I, I I just think it's a time to search our hearts. I know they said 2.30 to eat, but, you know, if, we, if we're late, they'll hold the food. But I just, I just want Jim to close us in prayer this morning as the Lord's showing him. Uh, I know his heart. I know his passion to serve Almighty God. And I would uh, be honored to Ask him to pray.
1: Before I pray, I want to ask every Christian in here. Did you hear the voice of the Lord this morning? Not my brother. My brother knows how I feel about it too. That when we stand here, we're just an electric wire that brings what has been given to us. But there's been a warning that has come from on high this morning. There's a trumpet that has been blown. And it has sounded a certain sound. And it's not doom and gloom. It's hope. We have a Father that's saying to us, I'm still on the throne.
0: Yes. Yes, amen.
1: I still am your father. I haven't abandoned you. I'm right here. But that choice has to be each and every one of us. And it doesn't matter whether you're here at this altar or you're sitting in that pew right now. As I pray... I'm praying a prayer of repentance asking God to forgive us. Because every single one of us in this room if we are true to our very heart before God know the areas of our lives where we've wandered. You know I know mine. He's shaking me. He's shaking me. Because there's things, as it says in Hebrews 12, that have got to get out of my life that are a part of the world that have nothing to do with Him. That I've allowed to slip into my life. Subtly. So as I pray, I pray that you will join your hands with Jesus in the person next to you. And let the Jesus in the person next to you speak to the Jesus that's in you. And this morning that we as prodigals will run back to the Father. Yes, please, Lord God. Let's pray. Father, there's no judge or jury here this morning except the heavenly hosts. I ask you in the name that is above all names in the Lord who went on that cross for all of us and the blood that he shed in the men who worshiped and fought for this country bled knowing with the hope that you father would be sovereign over us and that in you we placed our trust. This morning, Father, we repent as a nation. As individuals, there are things in our lives, Father, that our fathers and our fathers before us have sinned and fallen away from that wonderful glory that's in you that has been extended to us by grace and love. I ask you, Father, to assist us all Assist every man, woman, and child in this room, and those that are not here, to hear the voice of the Father saying, Come back to me. Turn, come back to me. I'll take care of that issue, I'll help you with that issue. I'll help you get back on the road. I'll help you get the strength you need. I'll help you to rebuke the devourer that is coming in your home, whether it be in finances or in your spiritual walk with me. Turn to me. And I'm standing there waiting for you. I ask you, Father, for all of us, my brother and I included in this pulpit standing here, we need you. We need you, Father. We need you more than we've ever needed a, a nation in any time in the history. And it's almost, I can go back and hear John Adams and yes. Sam Adams yes. and the others saying, We need, I could see George Washington on his knees praying to the sovereign God. We're in that place where we're, we're crying out now. Bring us back. Bring us back, Father. May we run into arms that are waiting just like that prodigal ran to his father. And realize that as we're running, there's a father that's running to us. Running to us to grab us and say, My son and my daughter, they've come back. We don't say it loosely. When we look to the heavens from whence our help comes from. And we know that our help comes from the Lord. I ask, Father, that the seeds of this message, this day, will go deep into us all. And that, Father, it will be watered by the Holy Spirit that we cannot get away from it and that we will continue to endeavor to walk down that road that each and every one of us must go into the pathway of righteousness for your name's sake and for your glory. Lord, do that in us that we would persevere until it is finished. That we can do like many other men and women have done down through the ages, that we will finish the race for the glory of God better than what we started. Do that in us this day, Father. May the blessings of God be upon every ear in this room that hears. Every eye that is seen the revelation of the Lord this day, and every heart to be obedient to the direction of the Holy Spirit and the living God. And the Jesus that's in you, touching the Jesus in your brother or sister next to you, says Amen.
0: Amen. What what you have heard this morning? Take out and live loud. Live loud.